You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome back to all of our participants here. Annie Mitchell, how are you doing today? I am doing just fine, Father. Better to be uh, seeing you today. Great, great. It's uh, 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time we're preparing for. And yes. the Book of Sirach, for those who are new to the ICC that might be finding this uh, gospel reflection, this is part of our Sunday gospel reflection we do every week at the Institute of Catholic Culture, as well as a ton of other good, solid solid in, uh, uh, faith formation. So you, if you're not a member of the Institute of Catholic Culture, guess what? Today's your lucky day. It's on sale. Memberships are going today free of charge. So if you want to go to the website, sign up. That's great. But here we are in our Bible space. So get out your Bibles. My Bible's buried underneath all these pieces of paper and notes. There it is. Get out your Bibles. Let's let it rip, baby. Sirach chapter 27. Let it rip. Yes. Sirach chapter 27, verse 30 through Sirach chapter 28, verse 7 will be our first reading for this weekend. The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 103. The gospel is Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. And the epistle is Romans chapter 14, verses 7, 8, and 9. Nice. So uh, here we are in the book of Sirach, yes? And our theme, this whole theme this weekend, theme of forgiveness, very much similar to what we were talking about last week in our gospel reflections. But here we have a couple of new uh, texts and the next part of the gospel uh, that continuing on what we began last week. So here we are. Well, and actually really interesting, incidentally, this year anyway, that this Sunday is the first Sunday past the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. And you really like, I think maybe you can talk about this as we run through the readings. You really kind of, you can feel the shadow of the cross on these readings. Okay. How about not so much the shadow as the bright light? The bright light. Okay. That's a good, sorry. I was thinking the light shining down and the, okay, never mind. Yeah. Your imagery, Annie. Yeah. Bad bad idea. You're right. (laughs) I like it. Sirach, chapter 27. (laughs) Come on. Okay. All right. It's time to read. Yeah. Sirach, chapter 27. We've given people enough time to find Sirach. Although if you have a Protestant Bible, you're not going to find it. Sorry. To our Protestant brothers and sisters out there, uh, your Bible is deficient. (laughs) What can I say? You know, and so again, a Catholic Bible. But, you know, let's. this is a good point. And we're going to use it as a little bit of a, a little catechetical point. That, you know, the line of the canon, while we always like things to be all clear and wrapped up and like boxed up for us as, as Catholics, the, the the line of the canon versus the non-canonical books is is not, it's just, it's not super clear early on in the church. 
And it's not really, I mean, there's, there are lists in the fathers, but most of those lists don't, don't, aren't in agreement with one another. One, one will include one book and include another and blah, 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 blah. There, this is not why Syriac is removed, by the way, but, but not because it was a debatable book. I mean, it was debatable, debated by the Jews because it was in the early church only known as Greek text. And uh, as we'll see here in the prologue. However, so that the Jews at the Council of uh, of uh, Zom- Council of Zombia. Okay, I said Zombia because we have all these nuns that are registering for the Institute's Magdala program. Oh yeah, yeah. places that I've never heard of before. But this is the <laughs> Council of Jamnia, yes, Jamnia, the, in yes, which okay. in which the Jewish authorities, after after basically everybody bailed out of and accepted Christ, and these guys are left like, what do we do now? So they called a council and they rejected some of the books that were very influential for the early church, this being one of them, oh, under yeah. the auspices of the, that only those books which are in Hebrew could be accepted. So Luther ends up following that line of thinking, rejects books like Sirach and others. And so for my Protestant brothers and sisters and for our, our Catholic brothers and sisters, you know, that line was always clear. It's what's in the family lore. It's what's being read in the family that's in the book. You know what I mean? So, you know, the the, the epistles of, of Ignatius of Antioch were read in the churches, like epistles. They were letters. They were read in the midst of the assembly, much like you read St. Paul today. But they're not included in the canon of scripture. But it, I say that only to see, see how valuable they are. Things like the Proto-Evangelium of St. James. It's not in our canon, but it's it's they're not to be rejected because they're not you see i'm saying they have an influential place in the life of the church and sirach is a great example of this for our protestant brothers and sisters where does it say in the bible what books of the bible are into the in the bible none so so the sola scriptura business is a self-refuting doctrine i mean it doesn't say that that the scriptures the sole source the sole authority right so the very doctrine is self-refuting, but that's for another talk, another time. But but here we have an example of a book that was very influential in the early life of the church, and we'll see that in its title. But before we do that, let's jump in. Yeah. All right. Sirach chapter 27, verse 30 is where we are yeah. beginning. Here we go. Wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them tight. The vengeful will suffer the Lord's vengeance for he remembers their sins in detail. Forgive your neighbor's injustice. Then when you pray, your own sins will be forgiven. Could anyone nourish anger against another and expect healing from the Lord? Could anyone refuse mercy to another like himself? Can he seek pardon for his own sins? If one who is but flesh cherishes wrath, who will forgive his sins? Remember your last days, set enmity aside, remember death and decay, and cease from sin. Think of the commandments, hate not your neighbor, remember the Most High's covenant, and overlook faults. All right. Sounds like Jesus to me. I was going to say, that was one the one comment I was going to make in what you were just talking about with Sirach was that you talk about how influential well, it was on the early church. I mean, it sounds like Jesus talking most of the time. Well, because it is Jesus talking. Yeah. Uh, well, that's true. You see? And yeah. I don't mean because this is the word of God. I mean, because it really is Jesus talking. 
<laughs> Jesus is the author of the book of Sirach. Did you know that? Now you're thinking I... to yourself, his father Hezekiah has completely lost his mind. No, I haven't lost my mind. Turn your Bibles back to chapter one of Sirach, which we're going to read in total. Yes, Ooh, called nice. the prologue. I was reading this today in preparation with you guys. And I said, you know what? I just love this prologue. It's so human. It's yeah. so good. And it's such a great launching pad to be able to read the text. And I have to laugh for a moment because I just got a kitten. My kids just got a kitten. Really? And they named it Launchpad. Yes. Nice. And we had a family meeting and we all voted and and they won. The Launchpad won. So we got a little kitten named Launchpad. Anyways. That's <laughs> awesome. The prologue of Sirach. But notice the title of the book. Ecclesiasticus, at least in my mm -hmm. RSV. Yep. Ecclesiasticus or the wisdom of Jesus. What? I didn't know Jesus wrote his own wisdom book. I thought Solomon had the wisdom of Solomon. Yes, I know, I know that, but Jesus wrote his own. Yes, he did. And so here it is. But it's now this is the son of, not of Joseph, but the son of Sirach. So it's a different Jesus. Now, why? <laughs> why, so why you're probably thinking, well, this is strange. You got another guy named Jesus in the Bible. Yeah, actually, we have a number of guys named Jesus in the Bible. It's a very popular name. Because the name Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua. Okay? Joshua, the son of Nun, yes, in the during the story of the Exodus, mm -hmm. is a great saint. And so right. the Jews yeah. love to name their kids after this guy. And here's one of them. And of course, Jesus, Yeshua means Yahweh saves. And so, uh, and so now we have Jesus that we know Jesus, the son of God is the savior of the world, but here's another Jesus. And we're going to read the pro the prologue. Annie. So go, go ahead. You, you read it for us. All right. Whereas many great teachings have been given to us through the law and the prophets and the others that followed them on account of which we should praise Israel for instruction and wisdom. And since it is necessary not only that the readers themselves should acquire understanding, but also that those who love learning should be able to help the outsiders by both speaking and writing, my grandfather Jesus. What? Wait, I didn't know Jesus had kids. Wait. <laughs> It does. It does sound really weird when you say it out loud. And I'm not kidding. Okay. My, my grandfather, grandfather Jesus, Jesus <laughs> after devoting himself, especially to the reading of the law and the prophets and the other books of our fathers, and after acquiring considerable proficiency in them, was himself also led to write something pertaining to instruction and wisdom, in order that by becoming conversant with this also, those who love learning should make even greater progress in living according to the law. You are urged, therefore, to read with goodwill and attention and to be indulgent in cases where, despite our diligent labor in translating, we may seem to have rendered some phrases imperfectly. For what was originally expressed in Hebrew does not have exactly the same sense when translated into another language. Not only this work, but even the law itself, the prophecies, and the rest of the books differ not a little as originally expressed. When I came to Egypt in the 38th year of the reign of Euergetes, Euergetes, and stayed for some time, I found opportunity for no little instruction, 
it seemed highly necessary that I should myself devote some pains and labor to the translation of the following book, using in that period of time great watchfulness and skill in order to complete and publish the book for those living abroad who wish to gain learning, being prepared in character to live according to the law. Isn't that beautiful? I really love it. It's, it's like, it's like a, you know, I don't know. It's very human, right? Yeah. And well, so it's this, like, it's a cool introduction, like to a memoir yeah. or something, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My old granddaddy, that guy knew something. You know, this is like the point in your life when you realize that, you know, you're not all, you're not all that, right? And the people yeah. that came before you actually had a few things figured out. And, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so there, there, there you have it. There's your introduction to the Book of Sirach, written about about uh, somewhere about 150 years to to 200 years before the coming of Christ. So now you got to get your bearings from a timing standpoint. Babylonian exile for a placeholder return 500 years before Jesus. Okay, now I know that I know that Scott Hahn and 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 others watch my commentary on a weekly basis, and they're probably oh, I wasn't exact, Father. No, I'm kidding. I know Scott Hahn doesn't watch this, but that's okay. We're having fun anyways. And it's about 500 years. So for, for our standpoint, there's your, your holder, about 500 years, Babylon exile and return. And then, of course, the coming of Jesus. And what happens during this interim time period is that you have a bunch of people that are struggling both in Jerusalem and outside of Jerusalem to follow the law of God because they want to get themselves ready for the coming of the Messiah. And for the fulfillment of all the promises, which we've looked at recently, where were we at, Annie? And not in Jeremiah. What did we do the week after? We're in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel. Yes, yeah. exactly. Ezekiel. And looking forward to hope. And when God washes his people with clean water, gives them a new heart, right? In Jeremiah, Ezekiel, we looked at, I think it was Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, 31, right in there. Anyways, we were looking at these things because it's an expectation that God well, he had acted and they had returned from Babylon. Yet, remember, the, the uh, is it Nehemiah? Behold, we are slaves this day in our own in our own land. So, both in Jer in Jerusalem, they're struggling in this in this kind of their home, but they're not home, and they're not being. The people are struggling with faithfulness, right? They come with money, gold to rebuild the temple, and they they go spend it on their own homes. Right there's famine in the land. There's all this stuff going on that we've looked at many times in Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi. All this, all these guys are riding in this post-Babylonian time, and then there begins this internal struggle. Like, what is this all about? Like, what, what, isn't the Lord going to act? And the response is yes, He's ready to act, but you're the problem because He's not going to force Himself on you. He's not going to 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 say oh look out i'm doing without you i don't need you anymore and we're going to come and we're going to take over the situation and solve the problem no as a as our loving father he says son come and this is an opportunity for your growth so that you can you cannot you you, you cease from being a slave but you return to become a son so come with me and here's how you're going to do this here's how you're going to get yourself ready and here's how the Messiah is going to come to be born of the virgin is to get ready. And that readiness is different depending on where you're at, right? If you're in Jerusalem, it's much more sacrificial in nature. It's much more uh temple. Temple, yeah. But but if you're if you're in if you're in Egypt now, you got another problem. It's not so temple, right? Yeah. So now this return to kind of 
an internal righteousness that says, wait a minute, how have I been living in a way that's in accord with the law? Because again, that's what Sirach is all writing about is to say, it's possible to be a faithful follower of the Lord, even if you're not in Jerusalem and giving hope to the people in this situation that they find themselves in. Okay. And that's kind of, that's kind of the background. Okay. Okay. Um, I know for, you know, Sirach is very, what a proverbial proverb be proverbish, but (laughs) can you, um, but it can sort of be broken up in a way that we have a a sense of the context in which this particular passage is. Is that right? Can you speak to that just to get our bearings or well, Annie, I, I, I just, I, yes, yes. My answer is yes and no. So um, that I think it's important to just kind of understand the basis by which these proverbial, right. These sayings are, are being shared. Right. So here's, I always love pulling out old Fuentes, you know, Antonio Fuentes, a guide to the Bible. And he says uh, at the basis of his teaching, Ben Sirach puts fear of God. In concrete terms, this means fleeing from sin as a first step on the road to virtue. And then walking that way in humility, which is the basis of all the other virtues. Through humility, a person accepts himself and recognizes his defects, while also respecting his neighbor and never engaging in defamation and calumny. Okay, so um, so so the 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 Jew in, in Egypt. In Jerusalem, but as this is now being translated into Greek as it's received, is being challenged in this way to be kind of self-reflective. Yeah. And and that's really what we get here in chapter where we 27, verse 30, right? And and so yeah. forth. And you can kind of see by just flipping your pages before that, is that he's talking about similar stuff, right? It's a catech, it's a moral catechesis. I didn't say why Ecclesiasticus. I mentioned I got all excited about Jesus. It was called Ecclesiasticus in the early church because, um, um, because uh, I think it was Cyril of Jerusalem. Maybe it was the first to Fuentes mentions this actually in his text about it's, it's, it's renaming as a, uh, but, but his point is that as the title Ecclesiasticus used, yeah, by St. Cyprian early third century to name it as the church book. Uh-huh. It's the catechism, yeah. right? It's the moral catechism that the church, early church used to say, hey, this is how a Christian lives. Hmm. Yeah. So, so okay. anyways, and then we kind of pick that up throughout all this book with all of these proverbs, if you will, um, yeah. about how to live and how not to live. And you can just look at chapter 27, verse one, many have committed sin for a trifle and whoever seeks to get rich will avert his eyes. As a stake is driven firmly into a fissure between stones, so sin is wedged in between selling and buying. And okay, this is a, this whole thing. Wow. Yeah, and so he's warning the people, and um, and that's where we come in now with verse with verse thirty about wrath. Yeah. So um, let's look at this text a little bit because I I think that we assume sometimes that. These ideas of like forgiveness and mercy are like New Testament ideas. I think we can kind of fall into that assumption sometimes, you know, there's the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, right? And, and, you know, love and flowers and sunshine in the New Testament and wrath and, 
vengeance and in the old but i mean in here what does he say he says think of the commandments remember the most high's covenant so this idea of mercy and forgiveness must be in the old testament too yeah any i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna share i'm gonna say this that that if i said to you the eucharist is the source and summit of our spiritual life Mm-hmm. you would say you would say yeah, yeah yeah i'm into that that sounds great right yeah that's right i've heard other people say that too but that's actually a statement that comes out of vatican ii mm-hmm. and i and I, sh- I share that with you only because it's become the common language of the people and this is exactly what jesus was doing right as a, as a rabbi as a teacher he's grabbing hold of the whole patrimony and he's saying don't you remember what your grandmother taught you? And that, and so it was, he starts teaching. I mean, obviously, obviously this is very, reminds us very much of the words of the, our father. Right. Yeah. But, but in a similar way, right. Sirach is the background as well as other passages in the old Testament for what Jesus is saying. He's just saying them and holding them up in front of the people. Like, don't you, don't you remember your grandfather, Sirach, <laughs> you know, or Jesus, right? Don't you remember the guy that your grandmother taught you about? And then they go, yeah. He says, well, why are you acting like that? And I do this all the time is uh, in my homilies at church, right? I'll, I'll quote words of scripture as a mirror for the people, as a measure of how they're living their life especially when I hear there's turmoil in my community or one person's in an argument against another person. Because in our community here, we're a smaller community and very much, you know, we live together. And when we live together, because we're fallen people, we tend to sin. So I find out that, you know, so-and-so got in a fight with so-and-so and now they don't talk anymore. And now they're both sitting in church and they're angry with each other. And it's my job as a priest to get in the middle of that and say, look in the mirror. Here's what Jesus says. So I use it in a similar way, similar to the Vatican II, becoming the common language. Jesus is just doing the same thing. The New Testament, the teachings of the Lord are not new. Okay? There's no, if, please, the God of the angry God of the Old Testament and this, that's all nonsense. And if you ever hear a priest say that or somebody else say it, flee from them because that's heresy. Yeah. Jesus is the God of the old Testament. Jesus is the logos of creation. He was there in the beginning throughout the whole business. And he is the word, which the prophets speak. So there's, there's, there's no contradiction between the new and the old. And so we see, as we've done so many times in this study here, a phrase that comes out of, well, Jesus's mouth or Sirach in Sirach, and that Jesus just wholesale picks it up. Because he and he's doing as a teaching, a way of teaching, right? To just kind of lay it out there in front of the people. It's not his own teaching, it's the teaching that came before him. Well, it is his own teaching because he's the word of God. Anyways. All right, Father. So I got a question about this. I'm gonna play, I know. I'm gonna play a little bit of scriptural devil's advocate for a second. So why do we need to forgive? in order to be forgiven. I mean, shouldn't we be pitied if somebody's sinning against us? Okay. Now you're getting into the priestly homily part. 
All right. So I can give a, a little bit of a moral. Here's my moral teaching for you. Okay. I'm going to pull a, yeah. I'm going to pull a, a C-Rack on you. Okay. Um, okay. So, so number, number one, uh, uh, anger. I oftentimes say this, I th- I'm sure I've said it here before, but I'm going to say it again. anger, the, the root of anger is most oftentimes the sin of forgetfulness. Hmm. What do I mean by that? It is a sin, the sin of forgetting that our life and everything in our life is a gift from God. And anger is the forgetfulness of that truth because at the root of anger is a sen- is, is an I- the idea of the self as the source of all things. Um, and in our modern American society, we suffer terribly from this because we have everything by right, right? Everything is yours by right. And uh, in fact, you have nothing by right. We have everything by gift. The modern American notion of rights is, yes, okay, I can grant you. I don't go too far with it. There are certain rights that are due to human nature, right, as to what it is. But not because of you. It's because God made us. You see, it's a gift from God. And that gift comes with certain certain rights, if you will. But nevertheless, my point is this. We become forgetful that our life is a gift from God. We begin to expect everything to be the way we want it to be, the way we determine it's supposed to be. And when it's not there the way I want it to be, the way I think it's supposed to be, then I became angry at the situation that I find myself in because it's unjust. It's not right. It's not the way I determine it's supposed to be, which is the age-old temptation to make myself God, right? And um, a, a God of my own making. Um, and, um, and, uh, and, and, and there, and so once this happens now, once this anger wells up and I become a God of my own making, then God in my life becomes like me. Simple as that, right? You remember the story of the serpent in the, in the, in the desert, right? And Moses had to lift the serpent up, right? And if you had to look on it, why? Well, because they had accused God of trying to starve them to death. Well, who's the one that starves mankind? Who's the one that seeks our death? The devil. And God is everywhere present and filling all things. And so the Lord just says, okay, I'm not going to force myself on you. You you think that the presence of God in your life is is like the devil? Well, here, look at what it looks like. And now serpents fill up the camp and start biting people and they're they're dying. Right? So he says, Mm -hmm. you got to lift it up and look what you made me to be. Right? So... When we become filled with anger, we begin to make ourselves God, and therefore God becomes in our life, in our image and after our likeness. And then we are judged according to the one we've asked to judge us. I think it's pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. God allows us to make gods for ourselves in our image and likeness if we want. And the cure for that. The cure for that is to remember that everything is a gift from God. And what is the proper response to a gift? Thank you. To say thank you, which is which in Greek is evkaristo, Eucharist, right? That's why the Eucharist is the center of the source and summit, right? Of our life. It's the complete opposite of what we've just described, 
It is the restoration of God as the giver of all good things and myself as a receiver of all those good things. And here's where the difficulty and challenge comes in. Because when my brother sins against me, when my, when my brother is weak with me, when I recognize a fault in him, I have a choice to either become his judge, jury, and executioner, or to realize that I've been placed in his life for his healing in this way and in this moment. Yeah? I have a current situation going on in my own life in this way, in which I have a choice. I'm being treated in many ways unjustly by another, um, in my view anyways. The other has found fault apparently in me, although I haven't had a and they're not speaking with me, so I don't really know what that was. I have ideas or guesses. Um, and they're acting in a way is just is just so it's just so despicable. So the question is, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to respond to this other person? Am I going to fight back now, having seen their fault because they saw my fault? You see how this just becomes this yeah, just, just killing, right? Just death all over the place. That's mm -hmm. what the devil wants us to do. Okay, but this is the opposite of what the Lord wants us to do. The Lord wants us to actually live in his image and after his likeness, who is the giver of all good things. So I, I see the other as a good in my life. And rather than being angry with the other, I become thankful for the other, even in their weakness, even in their sin, even in their hatred of me. I have to find a way to become thankful for this moment and this opportunity. St. John Chrysostom. Ready for this one? Oh, I can't wait. It's a little long and maybe a little convoluted in sections, but pay attention because Chrysostom is gold. Nothing maintains love so much as when we do not remember those who have sinned against us. But why? Did he not guard the other side as well? Why? Did he not drive the one that was done that has done the wrong to the person who is wronged? Does he not send him from the altar to go and meet the other person and after the reconciliation, then invite him to the table? See, the Lord drives us to one another, right? Mm -hmm. But do not therefore wait for the other to come. Since if you do so, you have lost everything. This is, this is very powerful. For, for to this intent, for, 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 for to this intent, most especially, does he appoint you an unspeakable reward that you be the first to act before the other. Since if you are reconciled by his entreaties, the love is no longer the result of the divine command, but the other party's diligence. Mm. This is why you go away uncrowned while you receive, while he receives the reward. Why isn't the devil enough of an enemy for us that we have to bring to on ourselves those of our own race as well? Don't you know how great the pleasure is after reconciliation? For it does not appear great at all when we are at enmity, but it is sweeter to love someone who does us wrong than to hate him. That is what we learn after the enmity is done away with. Why then do we imitate the mad, devouring one another, warring against our own flesh? Here, even under the Old Testament, how great the reward there was for this, quote, the ways of vengeful people leads to death. Remember, but, but to remember injuries 
is the part of a soul that exercises itself in evil. But have you suffered evil? And yet it was nothing so great as you will do to yourself by remembering injuries. That is very, I St. John Chrysostom yeah. is like, sometimes St. John Chrysostom is a little hard to dig into, but once you get past it and into it, it's like, mm, it's good stuff. Oh man, yeah, that is good so, stuff. Um, I, think, I wanna, yeah, can I channel ahead. my inner Father yeah. Hezekiah to ahead. transition us into the responsorial yeah. psalm? John, first John chapter four, 15, God is love, yes. right? I got the chapter and verse, right? Yes. We are made in his image and after his likeness. And so the Lord is kind and merciful, slow to anger and rich in compassion. That's so right. if we're made in his image and after his likeness, this is this is how we be like God. Yeah, I think I said this before. Pope Francis, one of my one of my favorite quotes of his is uh, he's, he calls, he says, "Mercy, mercy is love in action," mm -hmm. and this is who the Lord really is, right? When we allow Him to be who He is in our life, rather than making Him into our image and after our likeness. And so there it is. The Lord is kind and merciful, slow to anger, rich compassion. The real question this Sunday is whether I want to be restored in the image and likeness of God. And then what I'm supposed to do about that. Now, I want to be very careful as we move forward. I realize that there are people in our lives who are bad people. I realize there are people in your life and in mine that have been violent uh, psychologically, maybe even violent physically toward us. And sometimes it's necessary to separate ourselves from that person so as to be safe. Yes. But, and, and this maybe goes a little bit against St. John Chrysostom. St. John Chrysostom, please have mercy on my explanation. I'm going to try to do the best I can. And, and it's it's this, that forgiveness is not forgetfulness. I think I've said this before. Forgiveness is not forgetfulness, yeah? Forgiveness and mercy is the desire that the other person be what God has wanted them to be, right? So when I see another person in their weakness, in their pride, in their selfishness, in their anger and or whatever that is that I'm seeing in my brother, then I am called to minister to them in that weakness so that they can grow. Now, how am I going to do that? Well, of course, if somebody is a violent person, somebody is psychologically abusive, whatever the case may be, I have to do something at a distance. Well, I still can do something for them because we believe that we are connected through baptism in as, a, as one body. And so our prayers affect one another. They impact one another, our fasting. Yeah. So I would just encourage you, I, and we're going to maybe talk about this a little bit more in the New Testament section, but, you know, you may, you may have somebody in your life who is, who is damaged you or hurt you terribly. Have you fasted for them? Uh, do you pray for them? Uh, it might be very difficult. Do you want them to get better? There's the dividing line. Do you desire their, their spiritual growth and their restoration? Or do you want them? And here's the other thing. Or do you want to hold them in spiritual slavery, in debt for what they've done? Mm -hmm. That's what the devil wants. And that's what Jesus has come to free us from, to announce the Jubilee year, to give us the possibility of forgiveness of debt. Yeah, and to free us from slavery. Are you going to be a minister of that or a minister of the evil one? There's the difference. The Lord is kind and merciful, slow to anger, and rich in compassion. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. 21. Yes. yes, that is where we are. Matthew 18, starting with verse 21, going through 35. 
Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him a huge amount. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all his property in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, be patient with me and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had the fellow servant put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant? as I had pity on you. Then in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. The gospel of the Lord. <laughs> what a... Uh, Wow, what a uh, way to, sorry, I completely lost my train of thought because I thought a very large bug was in here and it turns out it was Will running the weed whacker. That's all right. Finish your gospel, finish the gospel and don't okay, say yeah. the gospel of the Lord because it makes it sound like we're making fun of the gospel. So yeah, you were okay, looking down reading and so was I. Yeah. All right. So will my heavenly father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. Okay, wow. Um, quite a message from our Lord in in this gospel. It picks up mm -hmm. right where we mm -hmm. we left off last week, Father. Um, yeah. you know, where Jesus was was giving instructions about, you know, how to fraternally correct somebody, go to him, you know, a couple of times with different people and whatnot. Um, and and this passage, I mean even though in in my Bible anyway, um, there's like one of those header breaks in there. So mm -hmm. it kind of feels disjointed. But this this really flows right from that, doesn't it? It does. And it flows not just from that, but from the bigger picture of the transfiguration heading towards Jerusalem, the cross. Of course, this is the Sunday after the Holy Cross, right? So the church is placing before us this kind of the theme or allowing the cross to cast a shadow you know, to enlighten our path. In, in this theme of forgiveness. But of course, in the gospel context, Jesus has just come down from Mount Tabor and he's heading to Jerusalem and he knows what's going to happen. There's, there, well, he says what's going to happen in chapter 17, verse 22. 
he says it again. And they were gathering in Galilee. Jesus and the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Right? So the, there we go. You're going to go down. You're all heading to Jerusalem, and all these people around Jesus now are going to start to betray him. And, the, and not only that, the fight's going to come into the family, right? The apostles are going to start to have some breaking up, some difficulties. He's getting his apostles ready for the war. They're going to go now to Jerusalem. They're going to the cross. They're going to the throne city. And he starts talking about what it means to live in this kingdom, how it's going to work. Okay, because it's not going to work like it has, happens out there where Caesar kills his brother and his mother and his brother. You know, <laughs> that's how they worked in the Roman Empire. We don't work like that. And uh, and and there's a particular reason we don't work like that, because we are citizens of, of the heavenly kingdom, right? I mean, this this parable and the parables around it, are there, there it is in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. We said this last week and probably the week before. The kingdom of heaven is not something out there for the apostles. For Jesus, he's not talking about the clouds. He's not talking about the fat angels in the, you know. Kind of hovering up. Now he's talking about the divine kingdom, which they expected to converge and the Davidic kingdom and God's kingdom to be one again in Jerusalem. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, get out of your mind this kind of like when you die 40 years from now, you know, you're going to see that the kingdom of heaven doesn't work like you think it works, right? Here's how it works, right? Now he's talking about the church. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's God's kingdom. The church of the Old Testament, the church of the New Testament, which is one church, one reality, one gathering of God's people around their king. Which is why, by the way, we, we, we begin the liturgy, the mass, the divine liturgy is called in the East, uh, always in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In our tradition, we, we say, blessed is the kingdom mm -hmm. of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, why? Because we, we, we are making intentionally present now the reality of God's kingdom here and now. God is enthroned as king over this gathering. Yes. And we have intentionally, by saying amen to that, we have intentionally put ourselves within that kingdom. We have pledged citizenship in that kingdom. Yeah. And now we can begin to live according to the laws of that kingdom, right? And so now Jesus is, that's what kind of he's, he's worried about. And now he's going to talk about how it looks in, inside the kingdom and how yeah. we act and how we don't act. Yeah. Um, okay. So I don't remember what your question was, Annie. What was, what was your question? Oh, it was just about the context. The fact that this is flowing oh, straight from. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's a transfiguration to Jerusalem. They're heading there. And it's going to get really divisive. And he's trying to hold the family together. Here's what it looks like. Yeah. And you know that guy over there? You know your brother? You know your cousin? Frank over there? You see how he's talking with the Pharisees? You see? That's your brother. He's going to be one of the ones that's on the inside. He's going to be saying, crucify him, crucify him. And you're going to hate him. But you can't do that. You have to be willing to go with me, to follow me to the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Are you willing to do that? 
that's when he's going to his apostles because the, the, the time of their formation is, is ending now. And they're going to be out there at the at the fire, right? At the in the charcoal fire, they're going to be out there. And Jesus yeah. is going to be arrested. And he's not going to be like, Peter, come on over here. Like, Don't you remember I told you this? No. So they're getting the, he's getting the family ready for what's going to take place. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Peter comes to him and asks about how many times to forgive. And the translation in the lectionary says 77 times. But when I looked this up in my RSV Bible, it says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Where's my Greek big time? difference between 77 and 490. I, my Greek text is over there. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Annie, I, I honestly, I didn't, my Greek text is over there. I didn't look up that question. Um, I wasn't familiar with the difference, but. Uh, I would say I would say this that there's writings on both sides of this about how some have speculated that seventy times seven is is what how many how many what is that number four hundred ninety four hundred ninety which is the time of the from the Babylonian exile uh, to Jesus I think one commentator put it and but but listen I'm gonna set all this stuff aside and say look what what is Jesus really talking about here. The number seven, I've said this before, the number seven shares a common root with the, with the term for oath in Hebrew. So the number seven is oftentimes used as a symbol of covenant union. Okay. And because of that, it's also used in terms of, if I were to ask you, what does the number seven mean in the Old Testament? I always say perfection, right? Yeah. I always say it's the number of perfection. Well, okay. Yeah. But why is the number of perfection? Well, it is because it is the number of the fullness of love, if in that, in that sense, right? And yeah. a full covenantal agreement or union. You can see this, by the way, the story. If you just flip back with me, keep your hand in your Bible really fast. If you haven't made a note in your Bible for this, you probably need to. And that is the story of Abraham and Abimelech in Genesis chapter in uh, Genesis chapter 21, yeah, it, there you go. Genesis chapter 21, verse 25, when, are you with me? Yep, I'm here. Okay. When Abraham complained to Abimelech, Abimelech is one of the other like Lord, you know, ruler guys in the area of the Holy Land, about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard it from it, of it till today. So Abraham took took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. The two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, Jesus, what do you mean by 70 times seven? What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs, which you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that you may be a witness for me that I dug this well. And therefore, the place is called, it's called Be'er Sheva, the well of swearing. Mm. Okay. Uh, the, so, so now this, the seven lambs are a sign of the covenant, right? That you and I are in agreement about whose well this is. Okay. So now we come, we can, we can even bring in your perfection point. Right, that number seven is of, of completion or something like that. Yeah, it's in this sense Jesus is using this in the sense of plentitude. I mean, really, seventy times seven? 
let's just let we don't need commentators for this. He's just saying, dude, just forget about it. You got to move on, right? Yeah. And I, your brother is a sinner. Have you haven't you figured that out? He's a sinner. All men have sinned. Yes, and fallen short of the glory of God. So why are you surprised that your brother's a sinner? The question is, what are you in his life for? What were you made for? Why have you been put in his life? To discover that he's a sinner? And to be horrified at? And condemn him to death? No. You've been put in his life that you might be like your heavenly father. This parable is oftentimes focused, uh, many people focus on this parable very much in terms of, of uh, well, I've heard it many times in apologetics, right? What's the na- number one thing you learn from this parable? That purgatory exists, right? Because the guy gets thrown into prison and he has to until he pays, pays off the last the debt. debt and then he's free, <laughs> right? Well, look, that's not, uh, this is not uh, the, the primary purpose of this text. This is, first of all, in our biblical reading, in all theology, in all scripture, we must be Christocentric, theocentric. This this passage is not so much about the merciless servant as much as it is about the merciful king. Mm -hmm. And of course, the king of the kingdom is our heavenly father and how he acts towards us and whether or not we are willing to then live as citizens of his kingdom. Because he says, he says, we know what his law is, right? What's his law? What's the law of Jesus? It's love, right? In, in, in loving God, loving our neighbor, the whole of the Old Testament is summed up. This is it. This is the law of his kingdom. And if you want to live in that, that kingdom, if you want to be a citizen of that kingdom, then your, your whole identity must be about love. It must be about pouring your life out to the other who is in need. Yeah, who finds themselves in sin. And then help them to become everything God wants them to be. One other thing in here I noticed. So the the lectionary version says that there's like, it's just a large amount of money and then a much smaller oh, amount that. of money. Oh, um, I got how much money my... are we actually talking about here, Father? I opened the gospel lectionary in my own in the Byzantine, the one I have, the English one. And I'm reading, I'm proclaiming this thing because this is what we do in our Byzantine tradition. We proclaim the gospel, right? Yeah. Where is it here? What verse is the talents? It would there be- it is, 10,000. I'm in verse 23. This is what it sounds like. Ready? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold. I'm I'm doing this in the middle of the liturgy. (laughs) I said, who owed him a lot of money? What? No, no, it's not. No, no, the text text says (laughs) 10,000 talents, okay? Okay. 10,000 talents. What does that mean? What's your question? How much money is no, that? I knew that was your question. Yeah, I did a little. Look, I looked it up for you earlier, and it is uh, according to some. Okay, about twenty years of labor in those days. 
Wow. Okay. 20 years. That's a, a lot of money. You, yeah. you don't live to 80 years old back then, 90 years old, right? Yeah. You, you live to 50 years old if you were lucky. Yeah. So you're talking about your, it's your lifetime. That's what, that's the point. Wow. The 100 talents yeah. is the guy's whole life. Everything, everything this guy has, he's indebted to this, to the king, right? Wow. His entire life. Now, I just, I hope you're listening. If you were listening earlier, as we're talking about the Old Testament reading in Sirach, about forgiveness, right? everything in this person's life is owed to the king, right? And now the story continues and it all begins as debt. It all begins as something owed to the king. He's a slave. Now, you're going to ask me, what about the other thing? And I'm going to finish my sentence that I was just about to do about the turning point in this gospel, which is so beautiful. But you also want to know how much the other guy owed this guy, right? Well, sure. And I yeah. and I did a little bit of research in the commentaries I was looking at said about 100 days wages. So it's mm. not an insignificant amount. But it's not a lifetime's worth of work, right? right? It's not a lifetime's worth of work. So this this parable, as with all the parables of Christ, is not simply about money, about material things. It's a deeper truth, a spiritual truth regarding spiritual debt. And this is why this parable is tied to what Peter just said and also tied to Sirach for us. It's all about holding another person in spiritual debt, which we do all the time. All the time. Yeah. And Jesus, so he begins his parable by explaining what the kingdom of God looks like. Of course, what the church looks like, right? And how we're to live in the church and how we're to live in this relationship in the image and likeness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? How we're to live in this kingdom as God is our king and us living as citizens according to his law of love. Okay. Wow. I mean, it is interesting that Jesus uses this monetary imagery, right? I was thinking back to Lent, Father, when the you, looking at, at church father quotes, and you see they talk about prayer, fasting, and mercy, you know, they replace almsgiving with mercy. There right. seems to be this really cool interchange between those two. The, no, there absolutely is. It's, it's, it's my desire to care for my brother. Sometimes that comes in a monetary fashion, but most often in our lives, my brother is in need of something more than cash money. My mm-hmm. brother's in need of me. And mm-hmm. uh, if I'm willing to be that. So this it's easy to focus upon the consequences in this parable right the throttling of the poor man who owed the the servant a kind of pretty much a pittance right the throwing into prison of the merciless servant but first and foremost this parable is about the absolute generosity of the king who is of course as i said before is our heavenly father well it's cool because you you were just talking about like it's this guy's whole life and what does the king do he just gives it right back to him. Yeah, we need to talk about this turning point in this in this in this thing, um, because Saint. Well, it's, there's a turning point, and then I got to share with you this own quotation from Saint John Chrysostom, and and what is it? If we look at the text here, verse twenty six. 
So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, Lord, have mercy, basically, is what he says, right? Yeah. Have mercy, Lord. Right? What is the point by in which this man who is indebted for his life in a slavery relationship to the king, when is it the moment when the whole story changes and he goes from owing something to receiving something as an inheritance or as a gift being treated as a son. It's the moment when this man finally, I would say for the first time in his life, because it's been a lifetime of slavery. It's the first time when this man turned and said, have mercy on me. It's the first time that he asked for forgiveness of his debt. Yeah. And this is the point when the, when the, when the, um, when the when the the debt turns into a gift yeah? yeah up to this point the man had never asked for mercy in his life the lord simply wants us to be willing to reflect upon our life and re realize that our entire life is a gift and to ask mercy and to offer thanks it's the center it's the same reality isn't it Thanksgiving is the pouring out of my life to the my benefactor, my divine benefactor, which is love. Yep. Yeah. And mercy is my turning to my neighbor and doing the same, living in the image and likeness of God. Everything in our life changes when we turn to the Lord and we ask for mercy, when we recognize him as the king of our life and we dedicate our life to his law of love everything in our life changes ah saint john chrysostom yeah says this parable is not about some other man it's about me and you hmm. yeah you have to stand in this gospel now and ask yourself who you are holding in spiritual debt yes and reflect on what god has done in your life yeah, has as as he's bestowed the riches of his kingdom on you. Are you going to live in his image and likeness, or are you going to hold your brother in spiritual debt? And for those of us in our life who have someone in our life who you're struggling with, who has maybe acted in a way against you, or has how are you going to act to them? That's it. There's the challenge. It's a big challenge. Every one of us has somebody in our life like that. Yeah. And now, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, who do we live for? That's, that's what Paul that's, right. uh, that's what Paul addresses in our uh, epistle for this weekend, Romans you, 14. You know, Annie, before we go there, I just realized I have a, a nice quotation from an old priest that I knew I knew once. He was my mentor. And he said, it is not in our power to forget an offense. The more we try, the more we remember. But when we begin to allow God's life to work in us, when the gift of the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives, as our lives, then he turns injury into compassion and purifies our memory and allows us to begin again. Isn't that beautiful? All right, let's take a look at the epistle. That is beautiful. Romans chapter 14, and we are starting on verse 7. Okay, chapter 14, Romans Verse, verse seven. Yes, none of us. 
None of us. Go ahead. Brothers and sisters, or if you're Byzantine, brethren. 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 None of us lives for oneself, and no one dies for oneself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this is why Christ died and came to life, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Yeah, I mean, how can we say the same thing we've been saying the whole the whole time? It's all about a matter of where our life is, where we want our life to be. Our whole life is a gift from God. Are we going to live it in there, in, in, in his hands as a gift? Or are we going to steal, like our first parents, take what is on earth to take? Yeah, and begin living life for myself. It's a big change of perspective in our lives. And it's a, it's a, it com- what a difference there is, yeah, for those who can find forgiveness for their brother. St. John Chrysostom says, look how Christ takes care of the dead. If he is concerned about the departed, it is clear that he will be concerned about the living as well, for nothing escapes his lordship. Christ put down his own life for our salvation. Having gone to so much trouble and expense, he is not likely to consider us as being of no value. The Lord is with us in these times of difficulties, in these relationships. There is no union. There is no restoration of communion apart from the Lord. So if you, in the days to come, are going to reach out to those that might be holding you in spiritual debt, someone you have held in spiritual debt, ask the Lord to be there with you that it's his life that you are living for his sake, because your life is a gift from God. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.